Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. So many people think, oh, I just can't get on top of the mould. You shouldn't have to. Like, there's something wrong if you can't get on top of the mould. My guest today has taught me so much these past years on an often confusing topic to navigate. That is, how do we be healthier in an environment that is full of toxins and misinformation? Today, the term low-tox has become a common phrase to refer to a way of life and making choices, and the gorgeous Alex Stewart has been working in this space way before many of us even realised we needed to learn more about it. Alex is an educator, change agent, author, columnist, speaker, and consultant at the forefront of a movement that's non-judgmental and tough on the system that got us here. Through both personal challenges in her health and an unveiling of the injustices in the food and chemical industries, Alex felt called to provide unbiased educational resources to guide people like her who were confused about what constituted a good choice for their health and the planet. The education website Low Tox Life was born, and today Alex is a 12 times best-selling author of the fabulous book Low Tox Life and runs a thriving online education hub made up of several e-courses, a top-ranked podcast, recipes, articles, and community action resources for an ever-growing community of people wanting to be healthier and make our planet happier. Alex's style is to provide information in a factual form, but I love how she's also really pragmatic and always says to me, start from where you are. It's often overwhelming to bring change into your life, especially in this space, but any positive steps that you can do that help you be healthier are better than none. Alex, it's great to be here with you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited, actually. So if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Well, Michelle, this is a really personal one for me because it's something that I have lived and continue to live myself. And that is the uh, health effects of mould. And when I say that, I mean either living in indoor environments that are too humid, so mould gets cultivated in your indoor space from that, or living with mould in the sense that you're living in a building that has some kind of water damage. And statistically, around 40 to 50% of buildings have some kind of water damage, either through poorly being built or having had issues like with a big storm or a leak that kind of was inconvenient to get fixed for a couple of grand, so they just kind of left it. It can be all sorts of different things. But I just can't believe how little it's talked about because it impacts not only our health, that's how I found out about it, but if you think then bigger picture, 
you're looking at the construction industry, you're looking at independent certification of buildings when they're built, like who's doing that and what is the standard upheld? Unfortunately, in this country, not so great. Um, You're looking at why are we building beautiful homes that unfortunately are going to be a water damage nightmare because there are no eaves over the windows. The building's always going to get wet every time it rains. It'll get wet every time you go out and you forget to close the windows. There's just so many aspects to uh, water damage and the subsequent mould that can come from water damage, but also to people just not really understanding why humidity is not our friend in an indoor space. Yeah, why that's probably because it's such an unusual topic, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously you've had, I'm aware of, you know, your chronic illness that you've had around this, but I had no idea really around mould and the education that, you know, I just, it's a part of life. You kind of see it as growing up in Australia and in humid areas and by the beach. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Not realising the actual impact it's having on you. So talk to me about a bit then about the history and how you found out about this. And then what I want to understand is what the differences are. So is all mould bad or are there degrees, I guess, of different mould that, you know, you should avoid or others that you can clean and whatever. And then also how do we, how do we eradicate it? Yeah, it's a tricky one because fungi is a part of our world. It's a very natural part of our world and things come undone when we build permanent structures that never see the sun. I mean, that's really (laughs) going to be a huge issue. Eventually, especially if there's humidity in that space, you're going to get mould of some kind. Like the easiest way to think about that for people is, you know, if you don't have a great fan in your bathroom, eventually mould's going to start growing because it never properly dries out between showers, for example. And that's when we get out all those conventional cleaners and think we're doing the right thing. But actually, they're a food source for mould. Oh, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Hang on. All that exit mould, bleach, all that kind of stuff actually feeds it. So it cosmetically removes the look of it. But because it has water in it, it feeds it. And so I always think with indoor humidity, best way is prevention. Don't let it grow in the first place. Create conditions, and there are so many simple things we can do that mean that you just don't actually have the mould turn up in the first place. Obviously, a totally different kettle of fish if you have water damage Mm. uh, because that's a bigger issue. But most people with a good, healthy building can stop mould from growing inside. Okay. So let's touch on those first and yeah. then, then I want to talk to you about the health stuff and why, how, what it does to you. Yeah. So yeah. how can you eliminate it? The best first step is to get a hygrometer. And what a hygrometer is, is it's a um, little tool. You can get it at your Bunnings, you know, Costco, wherever you, you, Home Depot if you're listening in America, and it measures the indoor humidity in your home. Also good is to start paying attention to your weather app because that's going to tell you what the daily atmospheric humidity is in your area. And anything above 60% gives mould a chance to grow. Sydney, for example, is only commonly under 60% for about three months of the year. Wow. Yeah. So that's anywhere you live in Sydney, like whether you're close to the ocean or not. And the ocean can sometimes be tougher. We think, oh, I'm by the ocean. And the air ventilation. But if the fresh air is 90% humidity, then you're going to get mould because you close your windows at night maybe or some of them, you've trapped all that moisture inside. 
So it's so important to have fresh air, but to also be conscious of humidity levels and allow your house to dry out. So every house is going to get wet. Every house is going to be exposed to summertime humidity around this area. Um, you know, spare a thought for far north Queensland. <laughs> That's even worse. But we can dry them out. So my number one tip in terms of investments is to invest in a couple of good dehumidifiers. If you've got a big home where you've got like the bathroom, the bathrooms and bedrooms upstairs and um, a main living area downstairs, sometimes big living, open living dining areas need two. Uh, and luckily these days there are some half-decent looking ones that can actually form a part of your interior design plan because a lot of them are also quite ugly. But you can achieve around 60% ambient humidity if you put in place some dehumidifiers. And my favourite thing to do is to actually suggest, especially in the bigger homes where sometimes people have a ton of bathrooms, then you've got lots of bathrooms getting humid, is to just say, can we just make this bathroom the shower bathroom? Everyone does their showers in the morning, the dehumidifier's in there to soak it all up for a couple of hours afterwards, and then you've got your vanity and your loo and everything for your private bedroom space, but having that communal shower space where that's where the showers happen so that you don't need to put dehumidifiers yeah, everywhere yeah, yeah. can actually be a really good strategy if you start to sort of realise, oh, crap, it's always yeah, 70 80%. Yeah. And then when someone has a shower, it's like 95% or 100 mm-hmm. uh, I always thought humidity yeah. was good for you because, you know, travel through Asia, my skin yeah. always feels much better. And... It's definitely good for you to a certain extent. Right. Um, but I don't know if you saw when COVID hit last year, There was this Malaysian department store that was used as an example to show what was happening to the retail stores. Obviously, everyone closed their stores. Everyone sent home. These stores all of a sudden didn't have their air conditioning units running through them. There was no airflow. There was just the humid ambient humidity. And they did a series of photos looking through the luxury goods section of this beautiful department store and you see all these Louis Vuitton uh, bags and shoes and just covered in mould because the conditions were optimal for mould. If you've got dust and you've got moisture, you've got mould. So I literally just pulled a jacket out yesterday because it's got cold. It's a big puffer jacket and it's hidden in a bedroom that I hardly ever go in the wardrobe and I pulled it out to put it on and it is covered in mould. I was like, what? So I just sort of always figure that maybe I didn't wash it or, but it's even if it's perfectly new or clean, Mm. that's an environment yeah, because wow. dust will settle on it over time. Yeah, okay. And then the dust and the moisture, the moisture. creates the mould. Interesting. Yeah, so it's okay. not just because it's dirty. Yeah, Although yeah. that's definitely like at the end of a season, yeah. you want to dry clean everything or sun everything before you put mm-hmm. it away. Yeah, I always um, put like my coats and stuff out in the sunshine when yeah. I can. But And girlfriends that have lived in Darwin, you mm-hmm. know, always sort of pack their winter stuff away. Not winter, they probably don't need it much, but yeah. in those vacuum-packed bags. Yes. And then they put them in their cupboard to suck all the air out it's yeah. in a vacuum-packed bag for their jumpers and their coats and everything and put those sort of under their bed they find that that's the only thing that kind of keeps it away yeah so you definitely want to get air circulation Mm. and you know I will have everything open as soon as it's under 60 degrees 60 percent humidity everything's open just getting lots of fresh air and then when it gets a bit too high humidity I hit the dehumidifiers so that the indoor air doesn't get too high and start to grow mold Mm. Um, and you can see it like your dust on your skirting boards will just start to blacken Mm. if you tune into it Uh, Mm. and I'm not saying this to kind of freak people out 
It's more to just start waking people up to the fact that it's just not something you want growing. Think about gut flora, right? Yeah. We have amazing microbiomes. You have some of the bad guys, in inverted commas, like E. coli. He's not bad in small amounts. In fact, he does a lot of useful things in his little colony size. It's only when he proliferates to too much that it becomes an issue. Mm. And I like for people to think about mould that way as well. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. And why is it bad for us? So it's the obviously breathing it in. So is it your lungs? Is that what's happening? Yeah, so it's not the fungi themselves. And not all mould produces the thing that's bad, but some moulds uh, produce something called mycotoxins. So the spores give off these mycotoxins, so toxins from fungi, and uh, that can be what people react to. And genetically, we all have really different systems, and it turns out, and there's an amazing Dr. Richie Shoemaker in the States who was the first to start realising, oh, my gosh, all these patients who are chronically unwell that no one can help are all in water-damaged buildings. There's something about the mould. And so that's, he was the one who kind of cracked the first right. nut on uh, exploring this as a potential illness that certain groups of people seem to suffer from more than others. And I did the test that he calls for you to do. It's actually in Australia covered by Medicare, one of the only things for mould illness that is, because it's also a celiac sensitivity gene test. What, what is it, a blood test or a...? A blood test, okay. and it's called the HLA-DR-DQ test. And so HLA-DR hyphen or slash DQ, okay. um, because they're different SNP groups, and then you have different alleles on each of the SNPs, uh, which is all very technical um, biochemistry stuff. But suffice it to say that if you have a few variations in your SNPs, you're more likely to be someone who's unable to detoxify or recognise these mycotoxins as a toxin for you to mount a response to and eliminate. Mm -hmm. I'm unfortunately one of those people, so is my son, Mm -hmm. and he is an unbelievable barometer. He will go to a friend's place or on a camp or caving, nosebleed straight away. Wow. So it affects him that, like, significantly has a nosebleed? Yeah. Holy dooly. Yeah. So what are the other symptoms then? So how did you oh, how did you get to this? Laundry well, list. Yeah. So okay. it's at, because it affects the central nervous system and the immune system, it's called a multi-system illness. So it attacks all the different parts of your body. And so originally I was the in the resistant weight loss camp with uh, hormone issues and brain fog. And I was like that for years. And I, you know, literally founded the low-tox movement. So I have a great lifestyle. It wasn't the lifestyle. It was something else. But no one could figure it out. And I got all of that, oh, you're just a mom with a young kid. Like, you know, I just sleep some more. And I slept great. I slept seven and a half hours every single night. Like I would go to bed at 12, wake up at 7.30, literally never wake up to pee, nothing. But I started to have the disturbed sleep as time went on. And then as time went on, some more scary stuff started to happen. So the first scary thing, the first thing I started to notice was actually a bit more annoying than scary. It was my eyes started leaking, but like leaking all the time. And as a public speaker, 
getting up in front of people, you know, you're just kind of subtly trying to like wipe your eyes and like, uh, yeah, you know, I'm getting paid $3,000 for this gig. I better just kind of look profesh. But talking about something happy and they think you're crying. Like, what, what's going on? And I went to Mauritius for my godson's wedding. And when we got there, about three, four days in, my eyes stopped leaking. So I asked a doctor, dad of a cousin over there, you know, this is really weird. Like my eyes were leaking there. I thought I must have some sort of issue. Uh, They're not leaking here. He's like, oh, it's probably just the seawater. You've probably just flushed out whatever's been in there bothering you. I was like, okay. I came home. I was like, oh, you know, thank God I don't have that anymore. But within a week, they started leaking again. I was like, what is going on? And I'm a really inquisitive mind, a good investigator, especially after having interviewed all these incredible doctors from all around the world all these years. I was like, okay, I don't know. I'll go and see an ophthalmic surgeon, I think, because the ophthalmologist said it's a blocked tear duct, but there's nothing we can do. Like if you wanted to get it unblocked, you'd need a surgeon. So I had surgery, Michelle, for this blocked tear duct because I just, you know, you go to the GP, then you go to the ophthalmologist, then you go to the ocular plastic surgeon. That's what they are. And how did they determine that was what the problem was, though? A blocked tear duct. Yeah. It had closed up. Oh, they can, so, they could see that. Okay, yes. right. So and because they inject saline into the tear duct, and if it doesn't run down the back of your nose, oh, wow. it's fully blocked. Okay. And so it was on this side. Right. And so I went under the knife thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I've got to get a stent put in. Dude, your eyes freaks me out. like any operation. And uh, after the surgery was when things got really bad. And I wonder whether the flood of chemicals from the anesthesia was like a bit of a straw that broke the camel's back toxin-wise because I was already so toxic with mould because then the heart palpitation started. Then I started having twitching tremors, muscle spasms that I still have sometimes now. And I would wake up and my fists would be clenched, super hard, like tension in my body like nothing else, crawling skin like I'd been plugged into an electrical socket, electric shocks, piercingly painful shooting pains at any point in my body, anywhere, anytime. It was unbelievable. I was like, oh my gosh. So I started seeing cardiologists, neurologists. No one could find anything you're fine, was what I got. I don't want to see you till you're 55, was what I got from the cardiologist. And you were living with all these symptoms day in, day out, and you're fine. And I Mm. said to him, look, I've tried taking some alpha-lipoic acid and some Q10, and it seems to be helping. He's like, well, I can't comment on that. (laughs) It's like, oh, God, this is where we're at. And, look, I am 100% behind the incredible knowledge that these specialists and doctors have. I am the last person to badmouth any medical profession null for how committed they've had to be to their studies to get to where they are. But we have to start recognising that when we can't do something, we still have to acknowledge the pain of the patient. You know, it is unbelievable that someone could be as sick as I was and thousands of people like me after speaking about this openly since and be told you're fine. And literally close the door. Like, there's nothing else I can do. One person looked at my bloods, uh, which were all fine because, of course, you're not looking at the right bloods uh, because we don't have tests for mold illness in this country because it's not recognised as an actual illness. And he laughed and shrugged. He said, well, that's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? Wow. And I kind of sat there for a minute and that was the end of the consult. Wow. Like, literally got up and opened the door. 
So I was just like, sugar, this is dramatic. Mm. I had to figure it out for myself. And then I had to figure out, is this happening to anyone else? I went to a couple of top naturopaths and doctors here. Unfortunately, that didn't lead anywhere and I kept getting worse. And I said I hadn't slept for five days because I would wait. I, my nervous system would be on so high an alert that all it would take would be my husband turning over in bed for me to wake up startled and then have a huge palpitation attack that would take four hours to calm down. Uh, it was unbelievable. So I was like a shell of a human and no one could find anything wrong with me. And I knew there was something actually wrong. It just wasn't, Mm-mm. I mean, you know, I was chilled. I was a relaxed person by nature. I don't fabricate things. I'm very scientific. There had to be something that we were missing. And of course, there had been floods and a couple of big leaks when we first moved into our place. But as is standard dead. with uh real estate agents, and as was standard with my own knowledge back then, they come in, they paint it and fix it, in inverted commas. That's fixed when you paint over it. Not fixed. So mould started growing in the walls. Every now and then there'd be like a little black dot, but you'd kind of put it down to summer or a little bit of humidity, but the walls inside were black. It wasn't until I found this doctor in America that I had to spend $750 Uh, via PayPal and a prayer (laughs) to see online, who took a health history that was 10 pages long, took me two hours to fill it out. And the questions were amazing. They were like, have you ever had weight issues? If you think back to the places you've lived in your life, were there any houses where you had weight issues that were tied to the house? Just crazy questions. You're like, and I was like, where is he going with this? But once we had our consult, I was like, oh, okay. It's all so related. All related. And I look at my life timeline and I remember there's this picture of when we first moved to this particular house when I was a kid and it was a few months in and I was puffy. Like it was just, it wasn't fat, fat. It was puffiness. I have it right now. I'm a bit puffy at the moment from some exposures and um, I can just see like my eyes shrink into my face a little bit, but I'm not fat. So it's a strange kind of water retention, like you've got a lot of water in your system, but it's not getting into the cells. And that's why you pee a lot when you've got mold illness. Like most people are up like three, four, five times a night. Because you literally, like you don't, you can't absorb the water. So you're just getting rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So he helped me piece it together. And then I started connecting to people here that had just started working on it being trained by the other doctor, Richie Shoemaker, uh, found Sandik Gupta, who's our best um, mould doctor in Australia now, and then found the Toxic Mould Support Group, like sexiest group on Facebook. <laughs> um, <laughs> they existed. So I'm going to have to put all these people in the show notes for someone that's yeah. looking and interested in this. Yeah. And the best way, I think, for them to find out more about this is to follow you. Obviously, you've done, I've done heaps on significant it now. work through mm. your Detox Life podcast and mm. your book, and you've got a new book coming out. Yeah, haven't you? Which is pretty exciting, and that's more in um, the food realm. Yeah, explored food systems and climate change because I think it's a very confusing world, and there's some really hugely conflicting narratives where we seem to have forgotten what we're all fighting for sometimes. Yeah, that's beautiful, and I love the fact that you often, you know, you you 
put both sides of the story on things. Always. So, yeah. you know, whereas rather than going, oh, you have to eliminate everything in your life and you've mm. got to, you know, your particular programs, I think, you know, you sort of talk people through it saying start where you're at. Yeah. And, Always. you know, it might be through coming at a, a lower tox life in through food, through you know, health issues through climate change and then you help them sort of navigate that, which is mm. beautiful. So people will put that in the show notes as well in terms of people being able to find um, more information on you. So is there an easy kind of test that people can do? I mean, obviously the barometer, hydrometer, is it? The, the um, hygrometer. Hygrometer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, at home, absolutely. Yeah, and then at- if you've got a big budget for the home and you really want to put some money into it, you can look at some fantastic integrated um, systems that you put through your aircon system right. that pump air in and out of your house and filter it and lower the humidity that way. There's some pretty cool things that can be done these days. And small little humidifiers like the dehumidifiers. Definitely don't want a humidifier on an Sorry. East Coast yeah, yeah. situation. What else can people do like in terms of identifying this? The number one thing, whether you are a property investor, so you're not living in the property, you just own it, or whether you're living in the property that you own, uh, or you're a tenant, is to, well, okay, so let's deal with the people who own property first. If someone complains of a leak or a water damage issue uh, from a rainstorm or hail or whatever, uh, that's not something you ignore. Not, Not because you want to look after their health even, but actually because you want to look after your own investment. Because if mould starts to grow in walls and you end up with a contaminated property, you are going to be vastly underselling yourself on that investment investment eventually when you have to let it go. Or you're going to be spending 200k on a full property remediation. And I doubt there's anyone in property investment that would want to do that. Mm -hmm. So next time you hear from a tenant or educate your agents, because often the gap in knowledge is actually the real estate agents who are representing these owners. I've been shocked by how little people understand of mould since going through what we've been through uh, and how they'll just get someone else in. Like I remember years ago we complained of a horrific issue where the subfloor obviously just hadn't been sealed and there was like slugs coming up in the bathroom and (laughs) it was just crazy. It was a beautiful apartment but it was a builder-owner situation of the whole building and had obviously taken unfortunately a couple of shortcuts Um, We were evicted for reporting it. Wow. And told that I was bad at cleaning and I was ungrateful. Wow. Yeah. No joke. And I was so shocked that I couldn't even get angry. So obviously, like a huge alarm bell. Don't forget you can hold a builder to account for seven years. That work needs to be redone if there's Mm. a problem. If Mm. you can smell mustiness in a bathroom that's less than seven years old, that hasn't been sealed right. It needs to be sealed again on their insurance. We have to start holding everybody to account and uh, ensuring that everybody who's responsible for repairs or building properly in the first place does it right Mm. because that's going to stop a lot of these health issues. It's unbelievable how many issues there are now because the building codes are as lax as they've ever been and because the building codes are in an energy-efficient kind of motivation And what you get there when you build an energy-efficient building, like six-star buildings, et cetera, in a humid place, you are sealing all of the air possible, but you're trapping humid air inside. So you're losing the airflow, which, sure, that means you can use less heating and cooling in the year, 
but you end up with contaminated offices and homes within a year or two of them being built. Interesting. It's crazy. Wow. So yeah. it's actually a big, big problem structurally, okay. yeah. societally. So who's doing something about this? Because that, that's significant. I've actually started about. looking into it, yeah. yeah, because there's a few interesting conversations being had, but I just think the more people know about mm. it, the more people can start having, I guess, um, intelligent conversations, faster reaction times to repairs, holding more people to account. Mm -hmm. It's it's like it's not your fault for not being able to clean. Like that is the number one. So many people think, oh, I just can't get on top of the mould. You shouldn't have to. Like there's something wrong Mm -hmm. if you can't get on top of the mould. So what was the answer for you then? Obviously either moving house if you're renting and or fixing it if it's your own house if you're able to. But what's the kind of longer term is... I mean, obviously, is there medication? Is there something else you have to do? There are a lot of things you can do. So you need to basically support your cells. You know, one of my least favourite things that I hear, unfortunately, in conventional medicine is, why do you need a detox program? That's what your liver's for. Um, But if your cells and immune system are operating effectively because of gene SNPs that you're not responsible for, you're born with them, or there can be an epigenetic situation where um, certain things are switched on and activated, then, yeah, you will need detoxification support. Absolutely 100%. Plus, our bodies were designed in a time when we didn't have all this stuff, the Mm. synthetic perfumes, Mm. laundry powders that are full of um, crap, uh, you know, makeup that has coal tar in it on our face, uh, eating food from plastic packaging that has a whole bunch of endocrine disruptors in it. Like, we were not designed for that. So it stands to reason that we would need a new and enhanced detoxification support program for modern humans because modern humans are dealing with what we were not biologically designed to deal with. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's been a huge part of it, looking at how I can help my body detoxify better. And there's some really great supplements that help you be a bit better at it. Activated charcoal is amazing as a mop-up for any kind of poisons, fungi. Uh, it can be just the most incredible saviour. If I've been somewhere, you know, a restaurant with a dodgy aircon or something, I'll pop a couple of charcoals when I get home. I've learned so much around a fascinatingly interesting topic about mould. Who knew mould could be so interesting? Oh, my gosh. So I didn't know. And then the thing is when you've been pushed to the brink and highly toxic in a toxic environment to you, and I say to you because it's different for everybody, and not everyone's going to get sick from mold. My husband's fine. Yeah, my right. son and I. Different story. Interesting. Yeah, and you live in the same environment. Isn't that fascinating? Same environment. Yeah. yeah. So it's thought that it's about a quarter of the people who have this inability to recognise and mount a response to it. So what you just touched on there around um, some other things to detoxify in your life and your whole entire mm. podcast and books about that. But to wrap up, because yeah. you have you're such a, a wealth of information <laughs> in this space. Every time I see you, I'm like, oh, yeah. tell me about this, tell me about that. And as I've been on this sort of journey the last few years and trying to eliminate things and toxins out of my life, I'm far from where, you know, the ideal sort of scenario and perfect, you know, situation, oh, which God, you've we always... All well, you've always encouraged me is that just... Do yeah. the bits that you can. And you, Look, you know. I walk my son to the train station and we pass like multiple um, peak hour cross sections, in, you know, on the street. Uh, that's highly toxic, all that exhaust flying around in our air and into our lungs. Like we can't be perfect. Mm. And I think we just have to let go of that and go, you know what, I want to be this modern person, this wonderful modern world that we've built. But at the same time, I want to be mindful of 
any exposures that I'm kind of setting myself backwards with that mm. I actually do have. That's empowering. That's a good way to look at it. Anything I'm setting myself backwards on, I like that. So give me, if there was five things, mm. as a woman especially, because yeah. we tend to put many more toxins on our bodies than men do, yeah. if there were five things that you'd say are the most important thing for people to kind of potentially look at or eliminate, mm -hmm. what would they be? Uh, so it would definitely be to uh, eliminate as much ultra-processed food as you possibly can because that's the most intimate relationship we have with anything in our physical being is the food we eat. Uh, and then to look at your water and get a good water filter because then you can avoid um, organophosphates and things from uh, synthetic fertilisers, insecticides, pesticides, herbicides, etc. Uh, and so that will help you not be exposed to all of those things in your water, which is another very intimate thing. I mean, that's literally feeding every single cell, right? Mm. And then my favourite plastic swap is to ditch the bath gels and, you know, all the foaming body cleansers and things in pumps and just get a bath soap. Such a great way to avoid some plastics in your everyday life. And also um, a lot of the... Um, I can never pronounce them, phenol, whatever, the toxins within some of those soaps and stuff as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like the synthetic fragrances, the phthalates, etc. Mm. The best thing you can do is to just avoid those synthetic fragrances wherever mm. you can. Well, that's another thing. Yeah. Perfume, I tell all my girlfriends. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you must wear perfume, as you used to work on a perfume counter. I did. You know, in yeah, days. many years ago. Yeah. Um, just if you must do it, put it on your clothing or yeah. walk through it. Do not put it on your neck and your Don't skin. Don't put it on like, your neck. That's like literally direct access to your thyroid. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so number four would be if you haven't changed your pillow recently, please change your pillow because every two years is probably about the guideline. They grow tons of fungi, dust mites off shedding uh, ugh, a whole bunch of oh tell goodness. you're grossing me out like thinking about it <laughs> it's actually revolting oh wow and uh switch and also like if it's a synthetic one so memory foam polyester you're shedding microplastics into the air you breathe overnight and like your face is literally planted right next to it so definitely want to switch to a latex a cotton a wool uh, type option um, and there are some really great ones. Uh, and, and I not, say the pillow before the mattress because that's the thing you've got your face on. Yeah. And not not to put it, you know, to clean it or to aerate it or whatever. You have to you throw can. it out. Or... Yeah, you can, absolutely. But honestly, after a couple of years, they really do build up some mm. stuff that's quite, um, it's quite hard to get right in there. Uh, latex pillows last the longest. What if you're there. allergic to latex? Oh, yes. So then definitely go for a good cotton wool combo. Uh, there are some really good options out there and you okay. just need to find some that work for you. Yeah, great. Yeah. And number five? Number five would be to check your indoor air humidity and create a safer environment for yourself. Uh, if it is over 60 at any point in the year, that's when you bring in the big guns, get some dehumidification happening and keep your indoor air healthy and stop yourself from having to deal with mould. Like who wants to deal with it? No one likes it. And for good reason. It can either cause allergic reactions like the asthma kind of respiratory stuff or chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which is what some of us get who can't mount an immune response to it. 
So, yeah, those would be my top five. A beautiful way to end. So um, I'll put all the other stuff in the show notes because people need to follow. You You have so much information on your resources. So thank you, Alex. It's, as always, so insightful on topics that I feel like I have, you know, about 2% of knowledge (laughs) on. So it's always interesting chatting Well, this one, I'm I'm particularly uh, shitty, if I'm allowed to say that on your podcast, that I even have to talk about it or know about it Mm. because it's put me through the ringer personally. But because I now know it has put so many people through the ringer, people who've spent decades unwell and not knowing why, I talk about it at every opportunity because if it can just help someone out there move forward. Mm. And uh, so so simple and yet exactly. you would never think that that's what your problem is. A hundred percent. People get diagnosed with all sorts of things uh, or not diagnosed ever at all and have no idea how to get well. So I've had people come up to me and hug me and tell me I saved their life you know, just crying because they had spent so long unwell. Well, so. I'm going straight to the hardware store on the way home yep. to get these uh, things to have a look at to test nice. my environment. So yeah. awareness is you. always the first step. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. It's thank been beautiful. You. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabisabiseries.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series, follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode, or maybe even rate, review, and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of Wabi Sabi, and walk proud in your perfect imperfections.